It's the Win Daily Podcast with Muntradamus. Welcome to the Win Daily Podcast. I am your host, Muntradamus. Today we have special guest Jason Mezarahi. This guy has lived the fantasy life we've all dreamed of. He's won those big championship qualifiers where he took home six figures, not once, but twice. He's also the author of the book, Win Daily. Winning at daily fantasy sports and life. Jason, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Uh, This is our second show now. We did a show last week with Scott Engel, and today it's me and you, and we're ready to talk about the book, ready to talk about the website and what we got going. No doubt, no doubt. And Jason, (laughs) what I want to ask you first about this book that you wrote, by the way, it is an amazing book that I very much recommend that all daily fantasy players read. For your Ford, you got Pete Rose to write the Ford of the book. Tell me about that process. Uh, the process is pretty much if you if you ask, sometimes you will succeed. So, to anybody who's debating whether or not to to decide on something, you know, the first suggestion I'll have for all my my readers, my users, uh, people within the community, people checking us out on our website is, you know, it can't hurt to ask. So, you know, I send out couple of messages to his agent and then I uh, got a chance to talk to the, the whole team and Pete and uh, just asked a simple question and he was down with the cause and you know we have a good relationship moving forward so it was pretty simple man you know getting people to endorse the back of the book like Adam Schefter uh, David Meltzer the VP of Vayner Sports Justin Giagrande and uh, Warren Moon and the CEO of Monkey Knife Fight Everybody, you know, when we start, we start speaking to each other, they believe in the vision, the vision, they believe in the long term, you know, plans I have for the site and the book. And what we're really trying to do here is, is to launch a, a lifestyle brand where people can come on and learn more than just about daily fantasy sports and sports betting and handicapping, season long sports. And just, you know, we want to be able to bring more to the table than pretty much everybody else in the industry. So we want to develop you know, more of a money mindset, a life mindset that can continue to help you win it you know daily fantasy sports because that's obviously you know what we're targeting and what we're all good at our team is filled of dfs pros and people who've been within the fantasy industry for the past 25 years so what we've built is a great team a great product uh, great content and pretty much you're going to come back to the show week by week and see new tools to the website new tools on the podcast new members of the team launching new innovative ideas for the industry so you know, stay tuned to what we got going on, and we're going to take you throughout the MLB season and probably tap into NBA and the playoffs and some showdown slates with the Millie Maker coming up on DraftKings. And then we'll roll into NFL and really get you going with all your season-long drafts and your beginning to daily fantasy for preseason and regular season NFL. Wow. Now, Pete Rose writes this line in the book. I'm quoting the book. The passion for the game has to be matched by a competitive nature that people don't possess. Jason and I have that gift. Now, Jason, how does it feel? Because you grew up in New York. You've probably seen Pete Rose play against your Mets hundreds of thousands of times. How does it feel that Pete Rose just compared himself to you? 
Um, it's pretty cool. You know, I'll be I'll be honest about it. It's it's a cool feeling, and just to know, you know, that even though I didn't make the major league, I didn't even come close. You know, I played a lot of ball growing up, but gave up in college on the dream. Um, you know, when it comes to you know competing, you know, it's not that I don't like losing, but I like trying to win a lot more than losing so as far as competition goes whether we're playing you know stickball in the backyard we're playing softball we're playing football whatever it is or dfs you know i try to stay as competitive as possible just to keep working you know i don't mind losing i deal with defeat you know pretty much daily you know one of my lineups work out well one of my lineups don't maybe potentially on certain nights all my lineups do bad you know so it's just kind of getting back up to the plate time after time after time again, putting the work in prior and, you know, having the confidence that today's going to be your day. And, you know, if you put the work in prior, you know, you keep refining your process, kind of like Pete does at the plate. And if you're three for 10 or four for 10, you know, on some nights, as long as those, those nights that you actually hit, you cover and you, you make up for the nights that you didn't do so well, you could still have a winning, you know, profit line at the end of the month. No doubt about that. And now speaking about defeat, I want to talk about a chapter in the book that I feel every single daily fantasy sports participant can relate to. And that is the chapter on Buster Beep Posey. Tell me, tell me, tell the, the, the learn, tell the users the story. So the Buster Posey story. So that that's a good story. You know, one, I don't want to ruin for everybody in the book, but, you know, for people who want to hear it now, qualifying for a live final, uh, Jeremy, you've been lucky to, you know, to go to a lot of them, but to get to that first one is really, 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 really tough. And I tried so many times to become, you know, first place finisher in a qualifier in FanDuel and DraftKings. I had so many tight calls when you'd be winning at the end of the night, you know, the last couple of innings of the last game doesn't really work out for you and a couple nights where you were chasing the whole entire time and you almost got there and then you just didn't get to the top and you finished the second place and third place and then there was one night for a drafting qualifier for baseball that for basically the time the night started from seven to eight o'clock in, in the evening in, in the Easter time zone um I was in the lead I got off to a great start um it was a $300 or $400 entry. I don't remember the exact amount on DraftKings. But, you know, I was pretty much cruising the entire night, the entire night. And all the games ended uh, except for one game. And I had a, pretty much a seven-point lead on everybody in the field. Uh, Trout State was, was done. Every game was done. All the West Coast games were done. And there was just one game left. It was the eighth inning. Uh, bottom of the eighth inning, the Giants were pretty much up three runs on the A's. And Posey was getting up that inning. And a couple, couple people had him behind me. One person had, had him behind me with seven points behind. And another person had it with like eight or nine points behind me. And Posey got up with one out and he got a single. And basically, I was counting the money at that point. The ticket was for about forty-five, fifty thousand dollars 50000 to go to Atlanta to compete in the live final for a shot at a million dollars. Uh, something I was like so ready to go do and I was already thinking about you know waking up my wife and telling her that we're we're going to the Atlantis and we got a shot at a million dollars and there was two strikes the next guy gets out and there was two outs and the funny part about the story and I'm looking back which is not too funny the Giants were up three runs 
Uh, Posey was on first base. There was two outs. It was the bottom of the eighth inning. You know, for the people who don't know, Buster Posey had a horrific injury a couple years prior to that. And he recovered from basically rupturing his entire leg. And he doesn't steal bases anymore. He never really stole bases before the injury, and he never really steals bases after the injury. Up until that point in the year, he only had one stolen base, and it was pretty much, you know, halfway through the season at that point. And there was two strikes on Brandon Bell, and I was just refreshing my phone, refreshing my phone. I wasn't watching the games, and I was too scared at that point. So I didn't watch any of the games that night. I was just kind of following from my phone. And with two outs and a one-two count, all of a sudden I see ESPN refresh, and... Buster Posey's on second base. So I was thinking, all right, he's on second base. It has to be a pass ball, whatever. There's no way Buster Posey stole up three runs in the bottom of the eighth on a one-two count with two outs. A meaningless run at that point when you're you're already up three. You're a catcher. There's no reason he's stealing second base. And then I saw the stack correction go up on ESPN and said he stole second. And it was as gut-wrenching as a defeat that I ever witnessed in my career because it was it was a done deal. I would have bet my house on the fact that I was going to Atlanta to that point and that single plus that stolen base on DraftKings equals eight points. I was up by seven points, pushed me to second place, and I go from winning $50,000 and a shot at a million dollars to winning like $300 or $400, whatever the case may be back. Um, so the swing on one random stolen base in a meaningless game that game finished the next inning. The, the A's went one, two, three. The game was over. That stolen base was totally irrelevant to the game, but basically crippled my chances at making it to Atlanta. And if it wasn't for me qualifying, you know, the year after in baseball and then qualifying the year after that in basketball, I was still carrying around that with me. I definitely wouldn't have hooked this book. I definitely wouldn't be here talking. Yeah, I mean, everything happens for a reason. And it seems like Buster Posey is one of those guys, especially back in the FanDuel days when they used to carry a catcher position, but still in DraftKings, they do. He still ends up being the difference maker because he's a popular catcher. He hits in the middle lineup and he plays the last game of the night. You know, a little counter story to that story is I actually had Posey once when I was trying to qualify for a championship. I was down by one point in his final at bat and they ended up intentionally walking him during that at bat. So you can imagine the different feelings in that circumstance. But you know what? Everything happens for a reason, like you just said. And it it led you to your amazing trip in Miami. I am now going to introduce the show, Beast or Bust. You can be a beast, or you can be a bust. Welcome to Beast or Bust, the quick-hitting rapid-fire question. If these guys are still good for daily fantasy baseball, let's go straight to the list. Andrew Benintendi, two home runs and one stolen base on the season. He's been a 2020 guy the last two years. Jason, Beast or Bust. I think he's dependent on the Red Sox themselves. If they start hitting well and you stack in the team, you slide Ben Attendee in and you feel pretty confident about it. If they still go the direction that they're going right now, I really don't see him as a one-off player uh, unless he gets super, you know, you feel like he's super low on one night and you want to just mix and match somebody. But I would say he, he averages back out to whatever the team does. So if you're stacking those Red Sox, 
you shot him in with confidence. Ian Desmond, a guy who's gotten 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases multiple years in his career. So far this season, he's got three home runs and zero stolen bases. Jason, beast or bust? I would go bust on this one. I can see myself possibly playing him a couple times when he's in Colorado. Outside of Colorado, I think he's on the on the decline. I don't think he's stealing many bases anymore. He's going to have some power from time to time, but, you know, not some guy I'm talking to. Matt Carpenter, a guy who hit 30-plus home runs this season. This year, he's batting leadoff for the Cardinals. Three home runs, one stolen base on the season. Jason, beast or bust? Cash games, the guy's consistent. I will be riding him, you know, throughout the summer. Consistent guy, top of the line guy. Um, hits for some power, steals some base, and pretty much do everything, singles, doubles. So I think he's going to have, if not the same year as last year, I think he'll have a very close to the same year last year. So I'll, I'll be riding him throughout the summer. Yasiel Puig went over to Cincinnati to only hit 192 with four home runs. The expectations were high. He is far below those expectations. Jason, is Yasiel Puig a beast or bust? bust you'll probably have there there'll probably be a week where we just plays lights out talented guy um but i think focus wise he loses it from time to time he had a tough time last year you know playing with the dodgers he had a couple good games here and there but overall didn't put up the numbers that we thought he was going to do now he's in a weaker lineup playing in cincinnati you won't see him on many of my lines for the rest of the year. Miguel Cabrera, a future Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. Maybe one of the best hitters to ever play in this generation. So far this season, he has three home runs hitting 299. Jason, is Miguel Cabrera going to be the beast he once was? He won't be the beast of what he once was because he's fallen off, you know, pretty heavily as far as the power numbers go. And his team right now, they're probably one of the worst teams in the league from a hitting perspective. So I can see him playing them once his price dips, you know, in the lower quadrant, you know, for cash games. If you need a safe guy, you want to hit a couple of doubles with some home run potential, but not a guy I'm targeting, not a team I'm targeting. It looks like to start off this year, the Tigers, the Orioles, the Giants. There's a couple of teams, the Blue Jays that are popping up, the Reds, popping up on the radar more and more and more as seeing the target pitchers against. And unfortunately for Mickey's case, you know, he's finished his last couple of years of his career on a team that can't really get around him. And that is beast or buck. Tell us about that amazing experience you had in Miami. So Miami was a different story. You know, Buster Posey, you know, got the best of me a couple of years prior. Um, I made a shot. Uh, to Toronto in the next year's, you know, MLB qualifier with DraftKings. Didn't have the, the finish I wanted. Met Cliff Floyd down there. Had a really cool experience with him. So it was kind of, you know, I talked about it in the book. It was, it was a win uh, that kind of, one that I'll remember more than winning a couple dollars. It was the conversations I had with him. A really cool, you know, really sincere guy, good dude. Um, but, you know, the following year, it was the end of the season. You know, I've been trying to qualify for DraftKings you know, tournament down in Miami for the World Championship of Basketball all season long, and it just never happened. And I think I finished the second and third, you know, two or three times prior to finally casting on that, on that ticket. And I think it really gave me an advantage, you know, being that I qualified in the last week, 
I didn't really have much time to think. You know, I was basically packing three or four days later, um, taking a flight from New York to to Miami, not overthinking it. It wasn't my first qualifier anymore. So I, I went in there with a, a solid plan. I really felt like I felt good going in. I was playing, you know, good good ball pretty much all, all season long. And I went in there with a plan. You know, I, I saw the games um, with the Hornets and the Rockets kind of squaring off. I knew I wanted Harding and Brow together. And no matter what I saw, no matter what I heard, and no matter what I was going to do when it came down to it, I knew I was forcing those two guys in my lineup. I was building my lineup around, you know, the two studs, stacking that game up a little bit with a couple pieces here and a couple pieces there. And just went in there with super super amounts of confidence knowing that I'm going to do well. I'm not going to let anybody get in my head. I'm not going to tinker too much. I'm going my process that, you know, got me there. And before you know it, I turn around and I know I was competing the entire night, but I took a different approach when I went down there this time. I said, you know what? I'm not going to watch any of these games. I'm going to have a good time. We're one of my best friends down there. We were drinking. We were hanging out, playing beer pong, moving around. I had, I purposely put the screen, the leaderboard to my back as much as I could all night long and try not to watch the games. Um, and it worked out. You know, I turned around, you know, towards the end of the night, I knew I was in the top five and I was creeping up and creeping up and creeping up and uh, ended up finishing the night in second place. It was a $300,000 win, my biggest win of my career and basically, you know, catapulted me to, you know, the top of the ranks as far as NBA went that year. And, uh, my greatest win and it, it's it learned it taught me a lot in regards to you know dealing with you know victory and uh you know just understanding that you got to kind of reset things once you have a big win and you know i learned from my mistakes of after you know after winning big and after you know changing the game for myself not to change too much of the process you know so sometimes when you come into a good thing you know you change your process instead of changing your process for the better you can potentially change your process for the worse. So, you know, one of the big lessons I learned out of coming out of Miami was dealing with the time after Miami and dealing with, you know, kind of balancing everything in life and not changing too much of your process that got you there because when you do, you know, there's potential for mistakes. No doubt. My favorite part about that whole Miami experience that you didn't touch on is the after party at the club. You mentioned you saw Justice Winslow. You saw Rob Gronkowski. Do you have any funny stories that happened when you were at the nightclub that night? Um, funny stories, you know, it was a fun night overall, man. We, we, we partied pretty much all night long. You know, I got some of the, the draft news reps saying that, you know, I showed them a great night and, you know, we went out later than most people do on their, on a championship night. And, you know, one of the funny parts, to be honest with you, was, you know, the victory within the, within the victory. Um, lucky for me, I finished in second. And because the guy who finished in first wasn't there, they treated me like I was the guy who finished in first. So if it wasn't for that guy not showing up, my second place trophy would have just been a trophy. I would have went out and we went and partied and we had a good time. But the spotlight was kind of on me, which made me a priority in DraftKings and the VIP section. And me and my boy were basically taken care of all night. And it was an experience like no other. You know, I, I party with the best of them in Vegas, Miami, and New York. And, you know, in Barcelona, Ibiza, a lot of places across the world. But, like, going out after winning a bunch of money, it's that natural high. Like, I wasn't even high from drinking and stuff like that. It was a natural high just from being victorious and, you know, and winning and, you know, reaching goals that I set out a long time ago was to you know, not only make it to a qualifier after you make it to one, 
but actually show up and you know do well at the qualifier because you can put a lot of time, a lot of money into making it to a live event, and it's a lot of effort. You know, and if you don't show up and put up a good lineup that day, all your efforts could end up being a wash. You know, because these qualifiers aren't cheap to qualify into, and most people don't qualify the first time they go after it. So you're you're building up. You know, some negative bankroll qualifying for these events. You got to make sure when you get there that you actually show up and put up a good night, you know, on top of just being you don't, there. You don't have to tell me that twice. Been to 12 of them yet to win the big one, but that day will come. So I take it Gronkowski did not twerk at your table and make a, a scene for you. Not that I remember, <laughs> man. He was kind of like, you know, he was a kind of cross at the table diagonal for me. Winslow was like back to back, you know, with me and my table. So, you know, we bumped into each other. I said, what's up to him real quick. Uh, you know, uh, B.O.B. was there performing too. So it, it was just, you couldn't ask for a better night. You know, Gronkowski was buying bottles. Winslow was, you know, buying bottles. It, it, was, it was a chaotic night. The place was packed and, you know, we had a, a great time. Yeah, place. sounds like an amazing experience. I'm glad you got to enjoy that. A line from the book that I really feel sums up your attitude, quoting right now, I'm willing to put in whatever work it takes to be successful. I will not let money be a negative issue. Now, how long did it take for you to break that mindset? And what mentors along the way really made an impact in your life? You know, as far as... You know, that line goes, it started early in life, you know, just practicing, you know, sports and playing, you know, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, pretty much every sport that was around, I was out there competing at. And, you know, to get better in anything, you got to put the work in. So it started with sports. Um, school was something that kind of came natural. Where I didn't really have to push myself just to push through. With sports, you know, when you start playing on higher, more competitive levels, you got to really put the work in and put the time in to get better at. So, you know, with that and with that mindset, I kind of carried into my work, um, whether I'm working, you know, my consulting business or I'm working on writing this book or working on DFS. You know, I I have lofty goals. I I don't I make decisions, you know, more to the long term. You know, I try to plan out the visions, plan out my goals, you know, getting into something. If I if I get into something, I treat it seriously, whether it's trading stocks or, you know, playing DFS or playing baseball, you know, I'm going to make sure. I put my work in, so when I when my numbers call and it's my time to get on the field, you know I know what I'm doing and I and I know I practice and I, I know I belong there. So with DFS, you know, in the beginning there was definitely a learning curve. You know, starting in 2012, uh, 2013, you know, really learning from the people there at the top that really started before me. Um, it took a lot of time. It took a, a good six months to a year. I remember the first time I won a hundred dollars, then it went to five hundred dollars, then it went to a thousand dollars. You know, but it took time to get to all those intervals. You know, and the industry was way different than it was was now, where you can kind of turn around. You can have ten different websites telling you who to pick. You know, seven, eight years ago, no, nothing was around. You know, you really had to find stuff on your own. You know, you figure out your own methods to to researching. Uh, but nowadays, there's access everywhere. Like you know, with our site, uh, we have a bunch of free content. We have five, six DFS pros giving you free content every single day that wasn't around when you know me and jeremy started six seven years ago um so with writing this book and with business and with you know playing dfs you got to put the work in you know if you expect to compete with you know the pros that are out there playing every day and making this their living 
just by putting in a half an hour of work when they're putting their entire life into something. That's like trying to step into the ring with Mayweather. Like, you're not going to win. You know, you might get lucky and hit a punch one day, you know, that, that lands. But, you know, in the long haul, you've got to put that work in. And, and there's nights where, don't get me wrong, I make a lineup in 20 minutes and it's better than some of the lines I make from eight hours of research. But, you know, work is definitely going to help you propel to the next level and reach your goals. So the days you don't have time to put the work in, you know, here for me, who's also lost a bunch of money, um, just pushing stuff into into games, just take the day off. You know, try your best to take the day off or scale down and only play, you know, low entry fee games if you're not putting the time in because the chances of you being successful, you know, definitely drop at least 10, 20, 30%, depending on, you know, how consistent of a player you are. That's a, that's a great answer right there. And speaking of your mindset, you have a segment on this show called money mindset let's check that out right now money mindset hey guys this is jay with the money mindset Uh, i'm going to talk about a few things during this segment a couple things that are on my mind Um, a couple things i think you guys should know about Uh, first off it's the book um, 99 cents 5.99 you're probably not going to get a better value if you want to basically lessen your learning curve for dfs Um, If you want to get strategy tips for baseball, basketball, and football, overall bankroll management, uh, for 99 cents on Kindle, it'll be on your phone pretty much instantly. You can skip to the MLB chapter and grab all your knowledge right there just to get started with some advanced stats. Um, I would definitely think it can help anybody, whether you're a pro. I speak to a couple of other pros who read the book already, a couple new people in the industry that, you know, they... It's, it's been basically grabbing some, some attention in the industry. And for 99 cents or $5.99 on a paperback on, on Amazon, I really think you guys should pick up uh, Win Daily and definitely give it a read. Um, if you don't like what you read, you know, you can PayPal me and I can refund you the money. Just hit me up on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. You know, I can shell back that money at 99 cents at 5 99 whatever makes it work for you. Um, but I really think there's a lot of good things, good, good knowledge in the book for you to pick up. In regards to the money mindset, you know, it'll be a segment I'm going to be producing every week, jumping in with Jeremy or a couple other people that we got podcasting and kind of tell you where I'm at um, in the DFS landscape and investing and, you know, pretty much anything I got going on, I think you guys should be got. One thing I'm checking out today, um, we're recording this uh, early in the morning on, on May 2nd, is the IPO um, that's going to be launched on NASDAQ today. Um, it's the IPO for Beyond Meat. I don't know who's heard about it, who's listening right now, but it's Beyond Burger, uh, Beyond Meat. It's a fake meat company that actually produces good food that's healthier for you. And I think it's going to be the next wave, you know, within, you know, within the food industry. Um, You guys saw, you know, unless you're living under a rock, you saw what almond milk kind of did for the milk and dairy industry. And now you go to most supermarkets and there's probably more types of almond milk than there is milk and i think that's going to be potentially the same case when we look you know maybe five to ten years into the future this company beyond meat um is ipoing tomorrow in the nasdaq you know it's probably going to start off somewhere in the late teens early 20s depending on where it sits you know after they open i think it might be you know something that anybody can look at towards the future uh probably pop you know sometime today or next week 
You know, I don't know what the right entry point is. I'm not going to tell you buy it at 18 or buy it at 16 or buy it at 20. I'm just telling you it's a company that I'm kind of looking at, you know, long term. I think it could be something that you can maybe look into in your portfolio if you do invest. Um, something on my mind, so I figured I'd get it out to you guys. I think the ticker symbol will be BYND. It'll be on the NASDAQ. That's a great segment right there. We're all really looking forward to that. And I have to agree with you on Beyond Me. In fact, because of players like Tom Brady, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard. I mean, Tom Brady didn't go vegan, but Kyrie and Damian did. I actually jumped with them on that vegan bandwagon for about two years now. And I got to say, it's been it's been a journey. And I'm, it's a great, great suggestion right there to get beyond meat because I do feel more and more people are becoming vegan as times are changing. Did you know uh, Carl's Jr. also has a Beyond Burger? I'm sure you're very well aware of that. Yeah, I've seen it. We don't have too many Carl's Jr. Um, back in New York. I used to live in L.A. for a year, so I know about them. But I believe there's a couple, you know, they're popping in more and more. You know, I see them in more restaurants now. I see them, I see them in more supermarkets now. They're going to be launching more products. There's going to be more innovation there. And I'm really, you know, the more I read into it, the more I look into it. My wife's also... You know, a vegan as well and you know I was a big mediator you know pretty much all my life but you know the way I see the health reports coming back in you know it's kind of worrisome you know what we're putting into our bodies so I think there's a long-term play there um, I can see the stock pocket popping there's a lot of big money behind it you know already so it's something that's really interesting um, that I'm gonna look into I'm not saying I'm buying it tomorrow when you know uh, the dust settles from the IPO but it's gonna be on my radar it's gonna be something I'm gonna be looking at we have some other people on the site that also, you know, day trade and trade stocks. So I'm going to, you know, talk to them about it and see what they feel about it, you know, after the initial action plays out tomorrow. No doubt about that. Well, thank you, Jason Mezarahi, for your book, Win Daily, Winning at Daily Fantasy Sports and Life. You can pick that up on Amazon for only 99 cents, Kindle $5.99 for the actual physical copy and jason is giving you a money back guarantee as well on that kindle so pick it up you're gonna love it we'll be right back with whipping around the infield whip 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 whipping around the infield Cody Bellinger is on fire. 14 home runs and 37 RBIs puts him on pace for 70 home runs and 187 RBIs. Jason, talk to me about your process when you see Cody Bellinger is playing on the slate. Do you have to play him? I wouldn't say have to, but if I'm stacking the Dodgers, he's the first guy I'm clicking through. Um, Any days that the Dodgers are in a plus matchup, or they're in a plus part, or they're facing, you know, a weak righty, or just a, a bullpen that's beat up already. You know, Bellinger's been crushing it, man. That whole lineup has been crushing it. You know, you can pretty much mix and match, you know, probably six or seven guys deep in that lineup. The only one thing that I've been, you know, trying to be careful about, um, since they are such a deep team, the Dodgers, um, sometimes the guys get pinched in for it, and it's hard to tell which one is going to be. So you got so many, ta- so many talented players off the bench, but Bellinger has been a safe bet. You know, the guy's not getting taken out of the lineup. You know, whether they're up five or down five, he's staying in that lineup. He's not going to be pitching for. He can play multiple positions. So, you know, with him, 
He's the, the auto the auto pick anytime I'm looking in the Dodgers vicinity, and he's a great one-off play. He's won me money early this season. You know, a lot I saw a lot of smart money in before the season started, put money on him to win the MVP, and they've been pretty much spot on uh, with that prediction. If he stays healthy and Yellow stays healthy, the guys are just you know performing at a, at a level that we haven't seen in a long time. Power numbers. Um, they're crushing it. And from a DFS perspective, you know, if you've played Yelich or, or Bellinger pretty much every day they played this year, you're setting yourself apart because they've been low owned, you know, most nights and they've been paying off pretty much every single night. So far do you trust Bellinger against a lefty like Madison Bumgarner? Um, I wouldn't target him against Bumgarner, you know, specifically, um, I would still play him in a stack versus a lefty, a tough lefty. Uh, chances are the Dodgers are scoring, I would say, four or five runs easy almost every single night. And if they're doing that even versus a tough lefty, that lefty's probably out of the game by the fifth or the sixth inning. Bellinger will probably get a, a one or two or bats versus a bullpen guy anyways. He'll be slightly less known in a stack versus you know, a guy like you know, Bunk Garner. So I have no hesitation of playing versus a lefty or a righty. Um, similar thing like Mookie Betts last year, Mike Trout last year. He's at that point at this point where you can play him against a lefty, even a tough lefty, as long as you think, you know, that that team is going to kind of pan out and that that pitch is going to be out hopefully by the fifth or earlier. And I'd play him more as part of a stack versus, a, you know, what might be considered a tough lefty. But I wouldn't hesitate playing on any night the way you make right a now. great point because a lot of new players in daily fantasy baseball they don't think about if the starting pitcher is pulled from the game they just see the starting pitcher they see the hitter and that's the only matchups they think about on any given day no that's true man you gotta look a little bit deeper you know you gotta look at you know everything that can kind of come into play you know see how much bullpen work you know the the pitcher the pitches in the bullpen have been kind of having, you know, lately. You got to see, you know, how stretched out these pitches are coming off injury starting the season. You know, if you know a guy is a tough lefty, but he's on a pitch count of 70, 80 pitchers, you're pretty much guaranteeing that you're going to get a matchup for somebody else, you know, throughout the game. So, and with stacks in general, like you said, a lot of, you know, people new to the industry are just, you know, getting through their first or second baseball uh, season. They kind of forget to realize that if you're stacking a game, you're pretty much hoping that, that team is going to blow up that starting pitcher within the first three or four innings regardless, and you're going to be facing a lot of bullpen depth for the rest of the game. So there's a good chance that he might in, he might be in to face a righty or two you know, throughout the rest of the game. Now, I don't know. Are you a season-long fantasy baseball guy, Jay? Uh, okay. Honest, no. Okay. Uh, I, really, I really don't have the time. You know, I didn't have the time two years ago, and when you add a, a book, a website – and a baby now I really don't have the time and I started to lose interest in baseball just for the simple fact that you got to stream pitchers and if you're not streaming pitchers and you're not you know constantly on a waiver out checking the matchups all week and kind of making moves day to day um you're not going to survive in, in season long and you know the way I value um my time is it's just not it's not worth my time at this point of you know my life my career to spend that day to day day to day day to day to try to, you know, get bragging rights for a Well, let guys. me, yeah, the sorry. Sport, the, the only sport that I still play season long is NFL. I'm still in like two, three, four leagues, depending on the year. But baseball, basketball, there's too much stuff going on 
you know, day to day that I honestly just don't have. Yeah, time. it's about those weekly leagues if you need that time. But baseball is definitely a long stretch of the season. But for all those listeners that do play season long fantasy baseball, is Cody Bellinger, if you owned him on your team, would you trade him and who would you trade him for? If I had. If the right deal came around and I was maybe struggling with starting pitching and I got a top, you know, one, two, three pitcher in the league in return, possibly even, you know, I would look at it. I wouldn't be, you know, try to push him because you think he got off so hot and he's going to fall off. I don't really see him falling off much. He's in a stack lineup. Um, he's, he's hot. He's a young player. He showed potential. You know, when he first came up, he showed potential in different spurts all, you know, every season he played. And now he's kind of looks like he put everything together. The kid's talented. You know, I wouldn't be looking to trade him. I wouldn't be looking to shop him unless the perfect situation came in where I had a team and I had a lot of power in the team to begin with and I was short something else and somebody offered me a top one, top two, you know, pitcher in a league like uh you know, someone that I really could catapult me and my pitching was weak, I would do it, but I wouldn't be targeting to get rid of him because I think he's going to bust the rest of the year. I agree with you on most of that. The thing that I, we'll talk about pitching in a little bit, but if I own Cody Bellinger in a season-long league, I look to move him for a player like Javi Baez, Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado. I would even consider Gary Sanchez. These superstars at weak positions that can make a difference. If you can give Bellinger and get one of those guys, I think you're going to be more than fine. Now talking about pitching, Chris Sales 0-5 with a 6.30 ERA. Scherzer sits with an ERA above four. Blake Snell just saw his ERA climb above four after getting rocked by the Royals. The list goes on and on. Kluber above six. Do you still trust these guys as daily fantasy options? Um, depending on the slate, um, I would trust all of them. Um, Sale is the only guy that I've kind of been knocking off my list the last three weeks. You know, he's let me down too many times recently, and it looks like there's more to what's going on with him. Um, it looks like it might be an injury. Maybe he was overworked at the end of last year. Maybe he's got a little bit of the itis after winning the World Series. Um, not really sure what it is at this point. So I've been kind of leaving him off my player pool the last two weeks when he started. He's been in some juicy matchups recently that you would think would go his way, but just not working out for him. Max, I still believe in. You know, I think Max kind of gets it together. I'm not at all worried with Max. And I'm not really worried about Blake Snell either. He started off the season hot, pitched a couple of gems. Yeah, he had a bad outing last time. But, you know, I think he'll get it back on track. And I think for the most part, you know, his K potential and Scherzer's K potential is, is really there on any given night to kind of propel him, you know, to the top stud of the night for pitching. So, yes on Max, yes on Snell, not so much on, on, on Chris Sale at this point. Who's your one pitcher where if you saw him on the slate, I don't care, you're like, I don't care who the matchup is, I'm putting that pitcher on my team. Who's earned that spot for you at this moment? Um, last night it was Trevor Bauer. Um, I think he's been lights out all year. He'd probably be, you know, close to top of the list right now. Plus, he's in a division that, for the most part, he'll face a lot of weaker lineups um, as well. So I would say, you know, off the top of my head right now, Trevor Bauer so far, the start of the season, 
He's been almost a lock button for me. You know, everybody else had some shaky games. Bauer, even when he had a bad start yesterday, he still grudged it out for a seven-inning start, cracked up the tees at the end, where he, he still kept you in the game. So he's been one of the more consistent guys. I'm sure I'm leaving somebody off, but he's one of the guys right now that's been kind of a, a lock-button guy for me to start this year. It's a good answer right there. Let's move to the next topic. Joey Gallo is hitting 270 this season after barely reaching above 200 in his first two years in the major leagues. But he did hit over 40 home runs in both of those two seasons. At 25 years old, Joey Gallo's already got 11 bombs on the year. Is Joey Gallo the best young hitter in baseball that nobody is giving love to? He's definitely not on Bellinger's, you know, uh, range as of right now. I think Bellinger's a little bit more, you know, of a complete hitter right now. Um, but what he's doing, it's not something that he hasn't been doing in the past in regards to the power numbers. The power numbers are going to be there every single year for him. The guy only hits doubles and only hits home runs. So, you know, as far as Gallo goes, what he's doing right now shows great signs for what's going to happen for the rest of the year. The weather hasn't warmed up in Texas yet. Wait till that heat comes. If he's hitting home runs now, you might see uh, a 50 home run year out of him because the guy has one swing and one swing only for the most part. He's been battling this year, cutting down on the strikeouts a little bit. So I, I think he's here to stay for the power numbers and in DFS. You know, going one for three with a, a two-run jack is better than you know going three for three with three singles. So. You know, I think he's going to be somebody that throughout the year you're going to be using a lot in DFS if he stays healthy. And as soon as that weather starts getting into the 90s and to 100 and that heat and that humidity hit Arlington, um, he's going to be a guy that you're really, you know, playing almost every night. I can see him probably getting up to the, the 5,000 range on DK. And it really comes down to the rest of his lineup. You know, Ozura's got a, a slow start. Um, Andrews has been hitting... Mazar and Chu, you know, they've been off and on. But that lineup starts hitting, you know, and they start to have some more guys on base for him. And you're going to see the numbers keep on skyrocketing. But I just think from, you know, from the gentleman that we spoke about earlier, Bellinger, you know, he's in a more complete lineup and he's, you know, a more complete hitter. So I think he could be maybe a 1B to uh, a Cody Bellinger type. Uh, but he is one of the guys that nobody's really talking about because his numbers have been, you know, so bad the last couple of years from an average standpoint. Now, let me ask you this about Joey Gallo. You said Bellinger, you would play him against a lefty if you're playing a Dodger stack. Now, let's say there's no stack right here. Would you play Joey Gallo against a lefty? Most likely not, especially if he's a strikeout pitcher. So if he was going, you know, against a, a Blake Snell type or, you know, a, a Chris Sale of last year, um, somebody who has high K potential from the left side, now I would just I would just fade him, and I and I probably would try to go with a low end stack, and you know you're gonna have to play one of the lefties in the text lineup, so I might still give him a shot, but yeah, I wouldn't play him as a one off versus lefty or a tough lefty that strikes people out. Let's take this opportunity to introduce the Scott Engle segment of this show, the King's Corner. Hi, this is Scott Engel, and welcome. I am the king. I am fantasy to the royal tip of the day here for Win Daily. And uh, if you're playing in a seasonal fantasy, I say it's time to buy low on Malik Smith of the Seattle Mariners. 
Malik Smith was actually sent down this week by the Seattle Mariners to Tacoma AAA uh, to get his game right. He, he was hitting 065 in his last 15 games, and he was hitting under 170 overall and uh, was also having difficulty in the field, etc. But still, somehow he managed to steal a few bases while... Uh, while hitting as low as he did and you know this is a guy that actually stole 40 last year with a good batting average i don't know what's going on in malik smith's head it could be something intangible but a lot of these steel guys are off to a slow start uh you look you look at look at some of these specialists and delino de shield is hitting under 200 even even guys that you might pick up like Tyler Wade are hitting under, hitting under two thirty, etc. But uh, at some point, Malik Smith is going to come back. He's going to be a better player, so you should definitely swing a low level deal for the steel specialist right now. And uh, when he comes back, he'll certainly uh, help you in DFS because that Seattle Mariners offense. Uh, has been playing very, very well this year. I mean, maybe you should talk more to D. Gordon. D. Gordon's been hitting over 300. That's uh, that's Scott Engel for today's Royal Tip here, right here on Wind Daily. Make sure you catch the podcast with Monstradamus every day. Luke Voigt hit 14 home runs last season. This year, he already has nine. Greg Bird is no longer in the picture, injured once again. And it seems that Voight has been the glue to hold this organization together through all the injuries. Now, Jason, is, is Luke Voigt, is he for real? I think the dude is for real, man. You know, I grew up a Mets fan all my life, so I've been dealing with AD uh, all my life. They've always pretty much been the class of New York. Um, when I was first born, you know, the Mets won. When I was three years old, and I haven't seen a Mets World Series win, you know, since then. Um, but with these Yankees, you know, one goes down after another, after another, after another. And then a guy like Luke Voigt stands up, and you know, he's really been, like you said, the, the, the centerpiece of that lineup, the consistent power. He's hitting the ball hard, man. Every time he hits the ball, the exit velocity on these balls, he's squaring almost everything up. The guy's got a lot of power. You know, he's going to be playing in Yankee Stadium. The lineup's going to get stronger as everybody else comes back. So what he's doing now when he's, the, you know, one of the only power bats left with Torres in that lineup, you know, once Sanchez and the judge come back, um, combined with, you know, guys like Hicks and everybody else they have through that lineup, they're going to be scoring a lot of runs. And when they start playing these games in the summer, you know, in Yankee Stadium, that ball is going to be flying out as well. So he's going to be another consistent player of that. You know, when this weather warms up in these places, places like New York, places like Baltimore, even places like Boston, you're going to have some high-scoring games, and they're going to be involved in a lot of that, you know, down the end of the season if these games gets tight. Um, so I can see him being, you know, an all-star for sure. I can see him in 100 RBIs, and, you know, he's going to be putting up numbers similar to Stanton, similar to Judge, where you're going to have to make a choice between – you know, you're not going to be able to play all three of them in a stack, you know, once they're all hitting in their, their high price. There's going to be some interesting decisions, you know, later on in the year. Who are you going to take? Are you going to take Judge and Stanton or are you going to side in Voight? And Sanchez is not going to come cheap and either is Torres. So it's going to be an expensive stack, I'm predicting. You know, once the summer comes and they all become healthy, 
Right now, though, he's the centerpiece of any Yankee stack that I'm making. Yeah, you got Andrew Hart coming back, DD coming back eventually. I agree with you that boy is for real, and that bat definitely carries a lot of pop. That Yankee team is really stacked in. For anyone right now who is like investing with the Yankees, is this would be the time to buy low on that team because they could easily rise to the top of that AL East. Speaking of the AL East, J.D. Martinez with only four home runs on the season, yet he still remains one of the most expensive players in daily fantasy. Do you have faith to pay up for a star like J.D., even though he can completely ruin your roster if he does not hit a bomb at his price? It's interesting that you bring that up. You know, one of our writers um, and podcasters, Adam, is from Boston, and you know, we talk pretty much every day, and we probably each lost, I would say, I don't know how much he lost, but I probably lost at least a couple thousand dollars on these Boston sacks to start the year. You know, you have Martinez, you have Betts, and if you pay off for these guys, you need them to you need them to hit. You need them to hit with power, you need them to steal some bases. And they've been losing me money pretty much every time I played them this year. And they 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 finally started to, you know, come around. Um, Benintendi, Moreland. You know, bats have been getting a little bit hotter. Devers been getting a little bit hotter. But Martinez, you know, I've been playing stacks. And I've been only, you know, last year, Boston, I'm definitely playing bets and Martinez together. But, you know, now I've been gravitating towards the Devers, the, you know, the Moreland's, the Benatendi's. And I've been playing one of bets and, and Martinez. And when it comes down to it, you know, I, I, I side with bets because of the stolen base upside and doing a little bit better than Martinez. But, no, there will be a time this year. I think he does come around. But right now, I've been playing, you know, just playing bets over him in my Boston sacks. And, you know, it's, it's hard to keep pressing that Boston button when they've been doing so bad. But you know that lineup is coming off a World Series win. You know, they're probably just, you know, like the Golden State Warriors, you know, early in the season where, you know, they're kind of coasting. But there's going to be a time where they're going to have to step it up. And I think there'll be times this year where you'll be able to play Martinez and bets again. But for right now, I've been hitting the whole bone on Martinez, and if I'm stacking the Red Sox, I've been picking bets. How many home runs do you predict for J.D. Martinez this year? I think he probably still gets to 30. Um, I think he'll come around maybe high 20s, low 30s, you know, based off the start he got right now. No, but I can still see him pushing like 35. Yeah, possibly. and then knowing him, he can get on some tear and end up with 40 when it's all said and done, and this is just a thing from Christmas past never know with guys with power like J.D. Martinez. Before we move on to moving averages, let me ask you, Jason, who's going to win the AL East? I would love to say the Tampa Bay Rays, to be honest with you, but you know, I still think, you know, as creative as they are, you know, and what they do is, is pretty astonishing. I kind of compare them. I was talking to somebody this, this past week. It's kind of like they're not the Patriots, they're not the Spurs, but what they're doing is highly innovative. You know, every year they do something differently. Um, last year was with these these bullpen games, and, you know, now you see other teams starting to dabble in it. And they're really creative. Every year they make a couple moves, and they bring up a couple guys, and somehow they're, they're competitive. And even if they're not doing so great in the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, they're competitive again. Um, so... I would love to say the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, if, you know, being a Met fan, I like to see other teams win sometimes. And Boston's been hot lately and the Yankees have been hot lately as well. And I think 
it's a kind of it's a three man show right now, a, a three team, you know, rodeo, however you want to call it. I really don't see Baltimore or Toronto doing much in, in AL East. So I really think it comes down to you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays. Um, as of right now, I think I have to give it to the Yankees for talent and the way they're playing without everybody else. Um, and Paxton has been pitching better. Um, Paxton's been looking better than Sale's been looking on the front end. Um, Tanaka's been looking good. CeCe's been looking good. Um, their bullpen is still, you know, one of the, the better bullpens in the league. And, you know, if all these guys come back, if they're winning now when all these guys aren't here, um, once they come back, they should be, you know, competing with Boston. And if Boston doesn't get their, their act together, you know, I'd love to see a Tampa race with the Yankees or even Boston. I want to see a three-man race down to the Yeah, Yankees. the Rays, you mentioned earlier that the Rays, they start with a bullpen guy and then they go to, like, someone like Chirinos or Yarbrough or Beaks. And it seems like a lot of teams are starting to adapt that philosophy of having a guy or a relief pitcher start the game and then it throws off to another pitcher. And I don't know if you've ever fallen for this, but earlier in the year I did, and I feel I should just tell this to the listeners so they can learn from this mistake. But when you try to assume what the next pitcher is going to be for the Rays, it could end up really ruining your fantasy night, especially for fan duel purposes when you get points for a quality start. You don't even get those points for a quality start, no matter how good that guy pitches out of that pen. And then they could switch it up on you and you end up picking a guy who gives you zero at the pitcher. Have you fallen for that trap yet? Um, I, I played, I think it was Torino's one time and he actually had a, a great game, um, you know, for his value. But yeah, you got to be really careful, man. You got to be really careful with Tampa right now. Um, what they've been doing for the last couple of years. More on DraftKings, like you said. You know, I, I used it a couple of times last year, and especially when DraftKings first started this kind of, you know, $4,000 type of player or $4,500 type of player. It made sense. You know, some smart money attacked it originally, and then, you know, you picked up on it. You know, you kind of could, uh, at the end of last year, you kind of knew who it was going to be, and depending on the pricing and the other pitchers on the slate, you know, it makes sense on certain nights to do it or not to do it. So, you know, it's worked out so far. I tried it once and it wasn't a bad move. But, you know, like you said, on FanDuel, it's a little bit tougher with the quality start, you know, because you're, you're automatically, you know, negating that possibility. Uh, right off the no road. doubt about it. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you to our guest, Jason Mezarahi. You can pick up his book, Win Daily, Winning at Daily Fantasy Sports and Life. You can pick that book up at Amazon for only 99 cents on the Kindle, $5.99 for the physical copy. Get all the daily fantasy sports info you need at windailydfs.com. We have a promo with Monkey Night Fight going where if you deposit, a Monkey Night Fight will match that deposit 100%. Get all the info you need at windailydfs.com. Beast. <laughs>